Welcome to the Carl Landry Record Club, a music podcast from the rights to Ricky Sanchez. I did it. Beautiful. Did it you nailed it, up. man. I'm Spike. I am Mutlu. That's Mutlu. Uh, on the show today, well, first of all, uh, if you want to suggest an album for the Carl Landry Record Club, leave us a, uh, a review and a rating on Apple Podcasts, five stars, preferably. When we get to 100, uh, Mutlu's got to do his sitcom mega mix on... Uh, Acapella sitcom mega mix. It's gonna be glorious. Gonna be gonna glorious. be glorious. Or if you don't use Apple, you can just go to carlandryrecordclub.com. Um and uh, I think that's subscribe wherever you subscribe. Okay, on the show today, um, we have John Ross from Wild Pink. And Wild Pink is actually a band that I discovered. We talk about this on the pod, but I discovered on a podcast, one of the few bands that I've ever discovered on a podcast. I was listening to a podcast with Steve Hyden and Ian Cohen. And I listened to it and I became obsessed with their 2018 album, Yoke and the Fur. And uh, saw them a couple of times and just great band. And they have a new album coming out. Shot them a note, new album coming out February 19th um, called uh, A Billion Little Lights. And we shot him a note and John agreed to come on. And it's a, it's a great dude. It was a, a fun chat, I think. It was really great. And uh, we were just talking about how what happened with this conversation is uh and our getting to talk to john was just all about kind of exemplified what we're trying to do with this podcast i wasn't previously familiar with wild pink um spikes turns me on to them and then the last few weeks i've been listening to yoke and the fur constantly it's just a beautiful record yeah great songs really just uh multi-dimensional i would say like atmospheric ethereal production is really kind of cool to talk to him and hear his process and how he does actually really conceptualize and envision the sound. I thought it was just, we really got some great insight into, into how he works and how the band works. Yeah. You should, even before you, 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 uh, you listen to the, uh, listen to the interview, go in and check them out. I've, I described them on the Ricky, I think as, uh, I said, if you took Coldplay and brand new and Tom Petty, and put them all into one, like that's sort of what Yoke and the Fur reminded me of. And I, I will continue to do that, even though musicians don't like it. I think it is good for people who, uh, just to put it in context, but just, it's so good, man. It's yeah. So good. And that's actually the, it straddles those areas, uh, yeah. with sort of the more roots rock Americana mm-hmm. songwriting, but then against this sort of vast, lush backdrop, uh, yeah. it actually makes them pretty unique. Uh, and and I think actually listening to some of their earlier EPs and then up to Yoke and the Fur, like they've had an incredible progression. And now yeah. this new record, they're taking it up in even another notch. So um, yeah, it's a really, they're a really cool band. So you can pre-order A Billion Little Lights and they're doing a, a live stream when the record comes out that you can buy a ticket for and you get a t-shirt. It's a, a pretty cheap package. Just go to wildpinkmusic.com. Uh, they're on Instagram, on Twitter, all that. So um, without any further interruption, uh, this is our talk with John Ross. I wanted to start off by by telling the story of um, how we were supposed to record a podcast this weekend, and actually, like <laughs> what happened. Um, so, so we just because I thought it was funny. 
And so, so we had, you know, we had lined John up and, um, and he had sent me an email the night before, like apologizing very nicely, saying that he, he couldn't do it. And could we, um, could we come up with another time? How about this time or that time? And I just reply back, see, I make the mistake of thinking I know everybody, right? Like we're already, we already know each other. <laughs> so I reply back, it's fine with me, but Mootloo has been rage texting me for, for like two hours. He's very pissed off. So I figure you'll get the joke. I go for a run. I come back and I see a trail of like five emails with you apologizing, <laughs> offering to, to cancel what you had. I just, I got to say, man, you're a good dude because you, you were very earnest in your response. Oh man, I, I got <laughs> your note about Mootloo just being pissed and I, I, I was like, oh my God, I need to make this right immediately. No, no. And then I saw it. I was like, oh no. And I, so I swooped in and I was like, oh man, let's see. That's the thing with text and emails. Like things get lost to trans translation. Yeah. But um, we you know we we, we got it we, we got it sorted yeah, quickly. Yeah. But when I saw that, I was like, oh man, this guy thinks I'm a dickhead, man. He thinks I'm like a like some kind of anger problem. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I was gonna say it because I have this alter ego uh, called uh, Tommy from down the shore, and uh, I was gonna say, yeah, he's like a Philly guy, you know, kind of like classic like WIP like sports talk caller, you know. I was gonna say Tommy from down the shore would rage maybe, text. Like, be a rage yeah. texter. No, but not me, man. I'm very I'm very zen. So. I'm I'm uh, I'm sorry for the mix up, but I'm glad we got that. Uh, I, I would never rage. Yeah. To it. <laughs> um, so you're you're a New York guy. The band's from New York. I I I like talking to people in New York now who like through the COVID time. I guess how are you feeling about like your town and your city and like what what has the uh, New York experience been like for you during this? Uh, well, I I left. I moved out. Oh, I didn't know. And, yeah, I moved upstate, um, up to the Hudson Valley. Okay. Um, actually, everybody from Wild Pink left New York, uh, I guess, pretty much during COVID. Okay. Uh, yeah, TC moved to Seattle, and um, Dan moved to Buffalo. I moved up here to Red Hook. Um, yeah, it's just, it's crazy. I mean, a lot of people moved, uh, you know, obviously a lot of people moved, a lot of people stayed. Um just didn't seem really tenable anymore, you know. We had an opportunity to come up, and, and we we did, basically. Uh, yeah, it's it's wild. Like um, I, I still know a bunch of people that live there, and they're very proud about the fact that they haven't left. You know, it's like this yeah. is not going to beat New York. And I'm, you know, people will move back eventually, but totally. I, uh, but it is. It is funny. They're almost sort of confrontational about the people who have left. It's a, right. a yeah, strange no, I vibe. I, there, yeah. I mean, like, it's it's like ground zero for it all, you know? And I think yeah. that uh, if you stuck it through, like, there, you really earned your stripes for sure. <laughs> yeah. <and> yeah. <laughs> Get to be on the I'm, Yankees or something if you made yeah, it yeah. through. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that uh, because this is such an unprecedented time for for artists to to be releasing uh, new music, and I, I really dig the the two latest singles. You can have it back in the shining, cool. but tropical, both great great Thanks tunes. Excited to hear the the full record in in February. But this is such an unusual time. You can't tour and roll a record out the same way that you ordinarily would be able to. So, how have you guys 
as you're doing your campaign to build up to it? How are you, how have you guys kind of re- recalibrated your plan? Yeah. I mean, it's just been a lot of uh, solo stuff, you know, like I, I'll do some, I did one or two web shows during COVID and it's just me and a, and a guitar, you know, and that, that's pretty much as far as like a performance goes, that's about it. You know, um, we do have this, there's the record comes out in February, February 19th. And that, that night we'll be doing a show from my house as a band, um, nice. socially distanced and everything. Um, and, but that's going to be like the first time we'll have played in more than a year at that point, you know? So it's really, it's crazy. I mean, what about you? I know you're, you can't be playing out either, right? Yeah, it's been the same. It's, it's, it's tough, man. I'm, I'm sure you've been through the roller coaster of emotion as well, where it's like, you just, you, you know, for me uh, playing live is everything. And, and uh, to not be able to do that, it's it's the cornerstone of of everything for me. So it's uh, it's it's a, it's been a readjustment. But you know, finding like doing things online, little videos or live streams, getting to do this pod with Spike. You know, you just find ways to to work around it. But I, you know, we've talked about this a bunch with Spike. It's like, and we, it's it's just it's the pervading conversation with musicians now. It's like not being able to tour and connect to people in person. It it really. Uh, it's challenging. It's challenging. And then to wonder when it's going to come back. And like at, at you what know, capacity you, too. Like I know Boot and Saddle just closed right. down and like. Yeah. I, yeah. I think more than one of those ven- bigger venues in Philly did, right? I know the Boot and Saddle was rough yeah, because uh, that was such a great room. I, it's such a fun place to play and to just go see shows. I think on some level in Philly, it's kind of a sign of the times. It's like, oh man, if Boot and Saddles going down, well then, like, what's next, right. kind of thing, you know? Yeah, uh, that one sucked. Reading that about that sucks for sure. It was a great well, stat. I, I I hope my my hope is it's it's sad to see the ones close that close, but I guess my hope is is that when 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 it does come back and become possible again, that maybe something rises out of the rises in the ashes of what it was. And maybe it's not the same place, but there will be like, I don't know when it's going to happen, but there's going to be a moment where people feel comfortable enough. And I almost feel like this time away from live music is going to make people appreciate it in a new way. And I, I wonder if it comes back even stronger and bigger than it was um, eventually, who knows when, but I, I wonder if that happens too. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that'll probably be true with a lot of things. We're just gathering, mm-hmm. you know, just have a new appreciation for that. Yeah. I don't know. Hopefully this time next year, it comes yeah. back in the U S shows. Mm-hmm. We'll see. I don't know. Well, so when did you, so that you mentioned a uh, billion little lights comes out February 19th. When when was this written and when was it recorded? Did you do it during this period, or or how long has this this process been going? And how how is how have you done it during this? Well, so this is this is definitely the longest I've taken on a record. I started this in um, probably like early 2018 and finished mixing in January of 2020. Um, so so like we wrapped up the oh, record wow. and then March it was all you know COVID obviously hit in March pretty much um so yeah like I I, I just really took my time with this but it was all pre-COVID for sure okay um yeah made it I did a lot of recording in Philly actually um with uh Mike Slomo Brenner uh oh really yeah, he, yeah. he's he's the man and he's our pedal steel player 
Um, and he arranged for some awesome players to meet up at a, I want to say it's 1935 studio. Is that right? Johnny? You haven't been there, but, um, I know Mike, man, Mike is one of a kind. He's just such a great uh, musician and stylish too. He used to rock the, uh, the suits when he would come out and play. I don't know if you saw a slow-mo. Yeah, he'd come out in a in a in a suit, like a nice uh, slick white suit, nice, and just sit down and play. And uh, no, it was, he he's great. Uh, Slow mo with Mike Recca, I think was the uh, oh yeah yeah was the was the project, you know. Um, but yeah, that that's awesome that you. It's a small man. Music is a small world, yeah. isn't it? Like <laughs> I feel like everybody knows Slow Mo too. You know, he's he's just like everybody yeah. knows him like that man. <laughs> Absolutely, he's a ubiquitous presence. Out yeah. yeah, the the video for you can, that I was actually going to ask you about that because the video for you can have it back was filmed in Philly. The video is, so I'm watching it and I don't know how it does this at the same time, but at the same time, it like, it's sort of like touching and nostalgic, but also sort of looks like the beginning of a, a David Lynch movie or something. Like there, there's <laughs> something that like almost frightens me about it, but there is something so uh, warm about it. Um, where did it, you have to look at it and see it, right? Because it's it's a woman standing in a cemetery, um, lip syncing the song and, right. and spliced in there are pictures of like old, you know, home movies. Um, and then it sort of pans out and there are, you know, gravestones with mirrors on them. So uh, whose idea was it? How did you, you end up doing that? Yeah, I totally agree about the Lynch vibe going on. I didn't even think about that. It does have like some wholesome Americana, but like something's not right about yeah. it too, you know? <laughs> uh, yeah, that, that's cool. I So I didn't, the concept was pretty much all uh, by the two people that made it. They have this production company called Attica. They're based in Philly. We shot the video at this abandoned cemetery called Mount Moriah. Uh, I think it's far west Philadelphia, if I remember right. Um, but they kind of came up with everything. Um, I don't know how they sourced that footage from like the 50s and stuff, but I love it. It's, it's just, it fits really well with what whatever's going on in that video, you know. It, the um, So the, the, the purpose of it, what we do on this podcast is uh, – like every every show, uh, Mutlu will come up with one of his favorite albums that I don't know. I'll listen to it. Uh, the same for him. And then we'll pick a listener. And the, the goal is to like sort of open you up to an album you may not have listened to before. And um, Yoke and the Fur sounds like an album to me, you know, like beginning to end. And there, there are points in which I'll ask you about. But I guess... So you're putting out these couple of songs. Uh, the first song comes out from the new record and then the next one comes out. And my response is, I don't want to listen to it because I want to hear everything in the context of the album. But I also can't help myself because I love Yoke and the First so much and I listen to it. You as a musician, 
releasing the songs that way without the context of the album. Do you like that? Do you not like that? Uh, something to get used to? Where are you with that? Well, I love the idea of people listening to Yoke and the Fur or this record in its entirety, you know? Yeah. But I, I, that's also just not how music is consumed all the time, you know? I yeah. mean, like, I, I listen to, like, one-offs, you know, at, at least as much as I listen to complete albums. So, like, I, I get that totally. Um, I think that this record has uh, even more cohesive flow Mm -hmm. than Yoke and the Fur did. Like, there's not really, there's only like, at only one point between songs is there like a break. Everything yeah. just flows one song to the next. So like, I, I'm excited, for, since you love listening to whole albums, like, I'm very excited for you to hear this tune, this this record. Well, do you, I wonder, knowing that people consume songs the way they do, and they maybe don't listen to albums the way, and it's not even about listening to the album, it's about having the ability ability to, or even at some point doing it, you still, but you still go through the trouble of making it a front to back thing where everything goes into each other. Um, why? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Okay. I, I, I definitely <laughs> wish that uh, it was more the case of like listening to whole albums, you know, yeah. uh, that people would maybe not listen to single songs, but like, that's just, that's just the way it is, you know? Yeah. I don't have much say over it. Yeah. <laughs> well, that leads me in because uh, I, I love that you did that, that you're in a way pushing a back against the sort of a la carte way that we're sort of like programmed to listen to music now. I, I like that you, that Yoke in the Fur is, is, feels like a complete statement. And I was wondering from the standpoint of, as you were like writing those songs, because the record has like a very, there's like a soundscape feel to it that binds it all together. As you were writing the songs, or as you're writing the songs in general, saying the, the new record's even more that way, are you conceptualizing kind of sonically the space these songs are going to exist and how they're going to exist together? Or is that something you kind of figure out like more once you get into the studio? Like, I definitely have a, an idea of like uh, how songs are going to flow into each other, you know? But like, it's definitely something that happens a lot after, like once I'm in the studio and like hearing this stuff sequenced, then it's like it opens a whole new door and, and I can start writing new stuff, new like sound design, soundscapes to like really smooth hmm. that stuff over, you know. The, in that album, it sounds so uh, big and pretty to me, like Yoke and the Fur does. Um, how, how do you accomplish that? Like you go into it. Do you, do you see it? Do you like, what, what is the, what's the goal? And then how do you achieve getting an album to sound like lush? I wrote down, like, it's just a very big, pretty album. Yeah. I mean, with Yoke and the Fur, that, that was like, I, we spent a week recording, maybe two weeks total recording and mixing. And it was like, I knew exactly what, I wanted when and where, you know, like it was very, everything was very deliberate. And like, 
I, when I listen to that now, I, I wish that it was like so much more full sounding because it, it was more so in my head. And now I feel like with this most recent record, it, it, I, I think I got to that point that I wanted to get to with like just having very, very lush soundscapes. And all, a lot of that stuff happened after the principal recording was done. You know, like again, like I had like a clear vision for these songs going into it, but it was once we could hear everything laid out and sequenced, that's when I could go back and like really dial in the, the soundscape stuff, you know. And then, and then when you go and you play those songs live, do you, do you have an expectation that you're not going to achieve that exact, you know, sound totally. and then, yeah. and, and you play it differently? Like that's, that's part of it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, like this new record, I, I don't know exactly how we're going to replicate live yet. And like, if we don't play a show for like, at, you know, aside from my living room in February, like we don't play a show for a year. I got some time to figure it out, but I guess it's going to be a challenge to like figure out how to make this record sound like that live, you know, aside from like just at just doubling the amount of people on stage, which is like kind of where my head is at now. Yeah. I'm not really sure. And like, I'm not even like, to me, making the record sound great is more important than making the show sound like the record for better right. or worse, you know, like, I, you know, I don't know if that's right or not, but that's, that's kind of where I'm at. Have you thought at all about, um, because it's such a complete statement in a way of just touring the record as like, as it is, you know, like from top to bottom, because it feels that way. The songs just flow seamlessly into one another. I don't know if that would get boring maybe on a full tour, but maybe at least some nights, like maybe doing that. I mean, that, that would be awesome. Yeah, I would love to do that, you know. It, it's funny you say we were, um, so I, I take guitar lessons on Tuesday nights and we were, I was, uh, <laughs> so before this, and I was talking with my guitar teacher and we were arguing over which Def Leppard album was better. Hysteria or pyromania. <laughs> and I like, I think it's hysteria. And he's like, but it's so produced and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, dude, but the album's forever. Like the, you might as well put everything into it. Like you don't see people saying that about movies. Like, ah, they shouldn't have used good, good, you know, visual effects there. Of course you do. It's, it's forever. Yeah. Yeah. You know? So it, like, it's your statement, right? It's like, it's a piece of art that is going to last forever. It should sound exactly how you want it. Even if you can't do it every, you know, every time you play it. Totally. Yeah, I know. It's like, you should just swing for the fences every time. But then I also see like, you, maybe you just want something to sound kind of shitty and lo-fi or stripped down. Mm -hmm. You have to be said for that too. You know, I think with me, like I've, since our self-titled record came out, like I've just been wanting, I've been like driving towards uh, making an album that sounds as lush and full as I imagined in my head. And, and I, it's, this is the first time that it's come close. You know, so to your a question about like production, like I, I can't imagine going in the other direction with production value and scope of a record, you know, that's just me. And uh, in, in the studio, like, do you do, have you found yourself doing more at home? Like as you go on, as you make more records, do you find that uh, there's something to be gained just by actually, like from a programming standpoint, maybe just at your house, now you got a lot of time. It sounds like you're a very studio-minded sort of artist. So 
are, are there ways that you can kind of accomplish some of your vision even before the studio just through home recording maybe experimenting trying different things that maybe once you get in the crunch in the studio you can't you don't have the time to like go down those kind of rabbit holes yeah absolutely um yeah yoke and the fur was very much all made in the in the studio but this new record like i would say 40 percent of it i did at home and then hmm. brought stems into multiple studios and then even after tracking at the studios going home and fooling around even more and like now I'm, I'm starting to write new stuff and it's going to be even more home-based you know so in a sense would you say that taking it out of the studio not being so beholden that in a way is what's actually helping you get closer to that vision like you said even i mean to to me yoke and the fur sounds so full and and lush you know, but to you were saying you still didn't quite get where you want. In a way, taking it back and bring it home in a weird way is getting you closer to doing Yeah, that. I think you can just like tinker way more at home. I and, and like not being beholden to the studio, like that's a huge part of it. Like on this last record, it was just like a matter of expense, you know, just like I, I, mm -hmm. I have to figure out how to do it at home to get it right, you know. And like I, I learned a lot about production and, and home recording on this last record. Um, and I'm, I'm taking that with me for what I do next for sure, which is going to be more and more at home. Definitely. Do you see a, there, there gets to a point with something that I always think about like Chinese democracy where like you screw with something too much and is, is, is being able to do it at home. Could that be a, a curse in some way that, like it, it'll never, there's, there's always a different way you can change it, you know? Totally. Yeah. I, I, uh, <laughs> I'm sure that's coming, you know, I'm just gonna <laughs> overdo it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I hope it's not this one. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, so I heard about the record. Um, I remember Yoke and the Fur, at least, I, I needed something to listen to. And uh, I would, I'll occasionally listen to podcasts from Steve Hyden, uh, the writer. And he did, a I think, a year-end one or a mid-year one with Ian Cohen. And they were doing their top fives of the year. And Ian, and I would I'd listen to every single one of them just to see if I liked it. And, um, and Yoke and the Fur was there. And it was... Like I was blown away. I remember mentioning it on my uh, my bat on writes Ricky Sanchez the basketball podcast and people being into it. How do you? It was such a random way that I found it because I don't listen to music podcasts. How do you find stuff to listen to? Like the wow. music that you like. That's a great question. Um, shit, I don't know. I really don't know. Like it just yeah. happened. The last song that I got completely obsessed with was this Rod Stewart song that I heard the song is called, um, I'm pulling out my Spotify now. Yeah. Um, but I heard it in this movie called the perfect storm, which I don't know if you guys have seen that. The movie is incredible. Yeah. Um, the, John, is that with Mark Wahlberg? Yeah. 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 So, yeah. <laughs> so here, here, let me tell you a moment of the perfect storm. So I see a perfect storm and it ends, and spoiler, in case anybody is like listening uh, or hasn't seen it, spoiler, spoiler. So they, they die, right? And they die, and I'm like, how the fuck did they know what happened on the boat? That's totally made up. Right, 
<laughs> Suspension <laughs> of disbelief. Uh, oh my God. Okay, so the song is called Rhythm of My Heart. Okay. I don't by Rod Stewart. This song is incredible. It's so good. But I heard it in uh, that movie and I was like, what the, what is that song? And Shazammed it and then just got obsessed. This is to your point. I, I don't really know how I find new music. Um, I'm, and I'm looking through my Spotify again to see what I've saved. My brother-in-law played this Jefferson Airplane song, Embryonic Journey. Okay. Instrumental tune. I'm, it's so fucking good. Uh, Cocteau Twins. Yeah, I don't know. Like, I think I just hear stuff in passing a lot and then Shazam it, basically. Shazam, one of the original apps. And still... Shazam's awesome. It's a great app. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, shout out Steve, who is a fan of your sports podcast. Uh, just wanted to say hey to him. I think he's listening to this whenever it comes out. Oh, oh yeah. yeah. What's up, Steve? I, I actually... Uh, I went to see you guys in New York once and uh, I was conflicted because like the last train out of New York, I think is 11.05 or something to Philly. And you never know when bands are going to go on. And I just stressed the whole time. So oh, I was man. like, well, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I was like, fuck it. I'm taking an Uber home. <laughs> so oh, I took it. okay. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so I met my buddy and we saw the show and I took an Uber home. But I didn't want to stress. I just wanted Dude, to feel amazing. calm. I'm glad you did show. that. Yeah. How, how much of that set you back? Was that pretty pricey? <laughs> I think it was like that night, it was like 150 bucks. But honestly, like way more than NJ Transit and Amtrak. But Am or NJ Transit and SEPTA. But Amtrak's like 90 or 100 bucks one way. It just... Honestly, for the peace yeah. of mind, it felt yeah, yeah. it felt totally worth it. Yeah, Amtrak is like crazy expensive. Nah, well, yeah, Amtrak's way more expensive than it should be for yeah. public transportation. Yeah, absolutely. It doesn't even leave the ground. <laughs> crazy. Who are uh, who are some of the songwriters? Let's see. I can frame this without being too like classic music interviewing. <laughs> who 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 are the who are some of the songwriters that you really admire like right now that you hear uh in contemporary music you know people that you would want to collaborate with or just you know you talked about hearing that rod stewart song like you you hear a track from them or you hear their style and you're like oh this is this is resonating with me um mm, damn i like his golden messenger mm -hmm. um contemporary shit uh or let's take it further back, classic songwriters. Classic, I mean, Jackson Brown was always a big one. Um, maybe like that's like maybe the biggest one for me. Hmm. Um, I when I was very young, I was weirdly obsessed with Kurt Cobain. Um, I love uh, Sinead O'Connor, yeah. Steve Earle. Oh yeah. Um, Bruce Hornsby, Bruce Springsteen. I mean, Bruce Bruce Springsteen is is enormous for me as well. What Spike loves? Bruce. I, oh I, man, I, yeah, he did that. Nah, I, it's <laughs> it's the oddest thing. I hate Springsteen, but I love bands influenced by Springsteen. Oh wow! It's, all right. Yeah, cool. yeah, yeah. So it's not surprising at all that you like Springsteen, and I'm I'm a fan of a band. Yeah. Um, Ooh, what about you? Uh, for me, I mean, I guess for me, it always starts with uh, more of the R&B, soul, kind of like Stevie Wonder, yeah. uh, Marvin Gaye, Al Green. I guess that's kind of uh, 
always my bread and butter or the thing that really sparked me to really want to do music was, was, was the, were those artists. But, you know, the, the Beatles, the Stones, uh, so, some of the artists that you mentioned too, you know, like Bruce Hornsby. Just for me, I think over time it's like great songwriting kind of transcends genres. Totally. Like what you're saying, Spike, yeah. like, you know, you maybe not like Springsteen, uh, but you like – bands that are influenced by him or people say that about Dylan yeah. you know some people don't like Dylan's versions of his songs but then you hear uh, a great rendition like a of one of his tunes and you're like oh wow then you understand like the magnitude of this song and um, that's what I love about that's I'm just always curious about the process of of writing because a great song will will work in any genre in any way and I, I feel like your material does that you know, we're talking about these big sonic scapes and this, these, this lush sound, but I think there's also an element to your music where if you strip the tunes away, uh, you know, there, there's a really good song in there too. And as on the flip side of everything we've discussed, is that important to you to be able to just pick up the guitar and say, yeah, this song works just Dude, like just, this. But thank you for saying that first, but, but you're spot on. Like everything happens, everything starts with the guitar just sitting alone and it, ha it has to start, it has to sound okay that way. Too, you know mm -hmm. yeah absolutely totally yeah we've said that if you we were talking we were recording the other day if you have to turn it up loud to make it good it's not it's not good yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, sh you should be able to hear it it's can't polish a turd so it's yeah. it's it's interesting you mentioned Cobain because so I'm 44 and so he you know that was like my teen years it was really big for me but it was so popular that like I need, I've had time away from it and I return to it. I think I listened to In Utero the other day and you realize how good it is if you can go away from it and come back to it. And it almost seems like Kurt Cobain and Nirvana is somehow underrated historically Dude, now. I know. I doesn't, it, when you listen to those records, like if it's possible to listen to them in a vacuum, it, yep. they, those guys are superhuman. Mm -hmm. Those performances are, are unbelievable. But then, uh, like, they're also, Kirkman's, like, larger than life and, like, has this whole, like, huge persona. But, like, just listening to the music by itself, it, it, those records are amazing. And Utero, I think, is probably my favorite record. And my favorite drum tones are on that record. It still stands out. Yeah, I, we, I went to Seattle a few years ago, and we went... Um, I think it hit me. We went to where where he lived, where he and where he died. And there's there's nothing there. It's just like it's on the edge of a you know street somewhere. It's not even in a neighborhood. And I looked at it, and it, it hit me that he was real. You know, like that right. he was a real person, and like like the pain that was very typical rock star or whatever was the pain of a real person and that those songs were written by him. I don't know. There was something about it that tied it all together for me. Um, and I, I hope he does like, I hope the legend of that band lives on because those records are great. And I was lucky enough to see him once and uh, all those things, but just, Hope it. I hope it doesn't get forgotten. I hope it doesn't get lost in in you know in music past. Where where did you get to see them? So when I was in high school, I saw them at the Armory in Philly, uh, which is at Drexel University. Oh, on Drexel's campus. Yeah. Oh, so it was uh, Nirvana, the Breeders, and probably somebody else. And yeah, man. Yeah, it was in Utero tour, and 
I'll never forget this, right? So it was four of us that were going and this one kid like didn't show up and he was like late and we were like, fuck it. And I just sold this ticket and it was sold out and we're walking in. And as we're walking in, he walks over. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, his name was, I'll never forget Herbie Evers. And I was like, dude, where were you? And I just kept going and I walked in and, uh, yeah, but I, I got to see them, but just what, what an incredible band, um, an incredible moment in time that was. Yeah. Yeah. I was, uh, I was like too young to see them. I remember when he died, I was at, um, my parents, there's like a, a neighborhood party with like all the parents, you know, and mm-hmm. there's this, like one of the older brothers, like all the kids were huddled together. And, and one of the older kids was like, Kirk with dad. He shot himself. <laughs> and we're like, oh, whoa. Like, who? <laughs> I remember it like, because uh, in, in high school, first he died, and then Shannon Hoon died from Blind Melon, which is another oh, band yeah. that I love. And, you know, I, I think when Shannon Hoon died, it was more shocking to me because nobody knew that he was like fucked up, that he had drug problems, that he was depressed, all those things. There's actually a great documentary that's only footage of his um like his camcorder that is really good that came out in the last year. But Cobain, you knew. It wasn't a shock when right. Kurt Cobain died, you know, but when Shannon Hoon died, it was a shock. I don't not have anything more to that, only that I remember those days in high school, you know, when those two guys died. Um, yeah. Weird, weird time. Yeah. And I'm thinking about Kurt Cobain. Uh, this is going to sound so out of left field, but we talk about songs that, Trans, are transcendent because he wrote so many of those. There's a version of Come As You Are that Charlie Hunter does. I don't know if you're familiar with Charlie Hunter. He's a jazz guitar player. And and he played, and it's this soul groove jazz version of Come As You Are, and it's one of it's one of the coolest pieces of music I've ever heard. And when you right. just hear that that melody, that you dun, know, dun, 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 dun. Yeah. it's like it's you know, and then down, bam, you know, I mean, it, it 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 totally translates to this like soul groove environment, and that's what I think. Uh, that's what, like with Kurt Cobain. That's what I take away more than anything is those songs are just, you know, you put them up there in the highest echelon of of classic rock. I wonder sometimes if like maybe because media is so fragmented in a way that are are, are we are there songs like that that kind of resonate across like every genre. Or is it is everything just niche now? Do you, do you ever think about that from a standpoint of like being able to reach that broad base of people? I mean, I, I think that like timeless music is probably going to find its way to everybody. Right. That that's the hope. I would think so. It's just tougher in this day and age. It seems like um, when everything is so fragmented, and maybe you know, maybe that's a byproduct of of radio changing and streaming. And everything, it's almost like what you guys are doing, thinking about uh, composing a whole piece that's like as an album. Like I, a lot of bands almost don't think in that way. Um, it's like everything is kind of more disposable now. You know, it's like, so you wonder if people care about songwriting and arrangement and those kind of things. Uh, I wonder if, is that like something that's important to you to kind of almost be a throwback to that classic style of music making? I, I don't, that's not, not that I'm aware of. You know, I think there is something like, great about the album, but I think you could probably release a series of singles that all sound great and timeless, but like if, if the objective is just to like stay relevant 
stay on top of the feed or whatever, like that's that you, you're probably not going to be making something with uh, a lot of shelf life with that coming from that. Right. That's interesting in a way that being feeling too tied into that can almost like diminish the the way you're thinking about what you're doing, you know? Yeah. Right. Right. You got to detach yourself in a way. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think sometimes. Yeah. Um, so the, uh, speaking of touring, the, the, um, when I, I saw you guys in Philly at a tiny little place, it, I don't even think it was a music venue. It was like, um, it was in mood. I, I think it was in, was it in Port Richmond? It, it like was, it's, uh, it's, it's, Oh, the, fu- Ken, Ken the fire. No. What was Jerry, that? Jerry oh, um, yes. That's what it was. Oh, Shlomo wow. lives wow, like okay. six blocks from, I think we walked to his place that night. Okay. Um, to me, that was, and I've been to a lot of venues. Like, when I say it wasn't a venue, like it, it, it like it, <laughs> this, the fire is a venue. Like, this was not a venue. Right. Um, to me, that was like it was a cool experience, but it was definitely the weirdest spot I've ever played a show. Like in the wild pink history, what is is there a, a show that stands out that you got there and you're like, wow, this isn't anything that I've ever done before like yeah yeah so i mean jerry's was like i that show was so fun that like when we were trying to figure out where to do this live stream in february we kind of had i had it in mind i wanted to do in philly for a variety of reasons and i was like we got to go to jerry's um but i don't i don't know if they're even open right now like i don't know what's going on but like i i just love that spot that was that was such like a, a a cool spot it was unexpected i was like well i just you would just walk right by it and not even know yeah, yeah you people walk to the like the there's like a store n- next door that sold like tall boys and 40s um yeah. and you would go over and buy the beer and then walk <laughs> it over there yeah, it's yeah. so cool <laughs> uh but yeah there's there's some shows like that for sure like i mean when we when we were in europe we played a few shows that were that were super diy just playing in like, I'm thinking of this one show. We went to Europe with this band, Rap Boys, this amazing band from Chicago. And uh, we played it at a house in like rural Croatia. And it was just on top of a hill, like kind of in a forest set back. And it was one of, oh, wow. it was so fun. <laughs> like these guys had uh, homemade, I want to I think it's called like Reiki or something. It's like homemade vodka, some kind of spirit, but it's like super alcoholic. Just like walking around, like everybody's like drinking this homemade alcohol in a house. They cooked an amazing meal for us. It was just so fun and so unexpected. Such a strange Uh, show to play. The, uh, the album that'll be out in two months now. Oh my God. It's so long still. If you, um, <laughs> obviously people can listen to those two songs. They can listen to your self-titled record and, and Yoke in the Fur. What's something that you would want them to know about the record? You know? Oh man, I don't know. I feel like the less I say, the better, honestly. I, okay. I, I hope that people really mm-hmm. enjoy it. Um, I hope that people get to, I hope they enjoy it and they get to come see us play these songs uh, in this like post COVID world when touring resumes. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I I'm I feel really proud of this record, and and I really just hope that people enjoy it. I hope they listen to it front to back. I guess that's one thing I'll say. Um, but if they just only listen to one song, I, I hope they dig it. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, before Moo, did you have any? I was going to give him the five. If you have one, if you have anything. Yeah. Before you do the yeah. quick uh, rapid fire, I have uh, one other question because uh, I love the video for the Shining but Tropical. Oh, cool! Thanks. Um, it was a nice kind of uh, companion piece with uh, "You Can Have It Back." It was a little bit more dramatic. Um, but I really like how, how did the, I wanted the two part question. How did you conceptualize that one and how did uh, Annie Murphy ended up starring, end up starring in it? Because uh, I'm, I'm a big uh, Shit's Creek fan. Me too. Yeah. I was a fan of her <laughs> before I signed to this label, but the owner of Royal Mountain Records is married to Annie Murphy and uh, oh, he right showed on. her some of the songs and, and she enjoyed the music and they kind of, she came up with the idea for the video and uh, hmm. they shot it at her, her remote family cabin in, in Ontario. Um, and she, she was in the, the driver's seat for the, the concept and, and she just like, just made this amazing video. Um, and yeah, I, I'm just like still blown away that that happened. It was uh, really cool. What was the first part of the question? That is awesome. Uh, just, um, yeah, like how, how did it come to bed? Like what was the concept yeah. for it? But I guess she kind of, and, and she mentioned, it was like, there was like real drama in her performance. It just, it really fit the spirit totally. of the song I, it, in a really I, cool it's way. It's a, a super soulful short story. Is how, how, it's how awesome. It's it. a good, it's a good visual piece to have with the, with the music. Yeah, right on. Yeah, I like the fact that you have the visual pieces. The uh, one of my, we've talked about him before. One of my favorite uh, artists is Butch Walker, and he put out a record this year that there's, yeah, it's a 45 minute record, uh, and there's 45 minutes of video that go along oh, wow. with it. And it's such a, it seems like such a huge thing to do, but it was neat, you know. In this world where music videos aren't really a thing anymore, I, I really enjoy the accompaniment, you know. Like I, I think it's cool. You Me should too. do more. I, I, I know, man. I like. I've never. Th these are our first and only videos. Uh, we've we've never done this before. Um, it was something that the label wanted us to do early on. And, and I, I didn't have any objections, but I didn't have any ideas for it either. Cause it was just like, this is like never really considered doing it. But now I, I love it, the music video world. I want to do more. We have a really exciting one coming out in January. It's all animated stop motion. Uh, yeah. I'm excited for you guys to see that one. Yeah. Um, well, this actually gets me to yeah, one more question before you do the rapid fire. Uh, so you're, have you done any film scoring or have you thought about oh, that'd be good film scoring? Cause I feel like something about your music, there is like this like cinematic quality. Now you see it with a visual component. Have you ever considered or have you done that kind of work? Yeah. So I, I was like a, a TV commercial composer for years Bef before oh, wow. I did wild pink. Um, yeah, I was like a staff composer at places in, in the city and um, I, hmm. I scored a feature film uh, with, it was like Adam Driver's first movie that he ever acted no in. No shit. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, really? It's called Not oh. Waving But Drowning. Um, and 
I, I would love to do more. I, I've done like a ton of short films. Um, so yeah, like, I, and I definitely like, I, I have like, I love cinematic music. I love like film music. Uh, so that, that's like, definitely that I, it's, it's interesting that you bring that up. I, I, I can understand that. It seems just really second nature with how you write and produce records. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, you should, I could definitely, uh, you know, I could definitely see more of that, you know, especially, especially, or even just doing more music videos, kind of like the Butch yeah. Walker thing, you know, maybe do, do something for the whole record. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm going to check that out. That sounds really cool. Yeah. Uh, so we end the pod with, uh, five questions. They're quick. Okay. You know, you don't have to think too deeply. Right. First one, uh, you can only have one French toast, pancakes, waffles, or an omelet. Uh, omelet. Savory. Okay. And what kind of omelet? Uh, probably spinach, feta, sausage. Okay. Tomato. Oh, that's yeah. good. That's the right <laughs> answer. I like that. I like the sausage. Um, <laughs> which four-legged animal do you think would most would be most likely to be able to be trained to play an instrument? Uh. <laughs> Mm, this is like low hanging fruit. I feel like a dog. A dog would you could totally get playing a yeah. piano. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> well, when I originally thought of the question, I'm like, "Well, it's obviously a fucking monkey," and I'm like, oh, four legged, yeah, yeah, four yeah, legged, yeah. yeah." But four legged. That's why I had to go for it. Stay on task here. Um, <laughs> what is? Do you have a favorite flavored seltzer? Wow just blew my hair back. Yeah. Adirondack orange. Okay. The brand is Adirondack. It's orange. Yep. Yeah. Do you, do you think spin, would you consider Spindrift a flavored seltzer or have it's, you, it's pretty okay. highbrow. Oh, I'm all about. Yeah. yeah. It's my favorite. Spindrift grapefruit. Yeah. Grapefruit is the I go one. through two that's cases a week, but it, a lot, a, a seltzer expert I know says it's not seltzer, seltzer because it has actual juice in it. There's too much juice in it. And calories. It, it has does. calories and a few grams yeah. of sugar. So, um, Question four, if you could play a show with any band, any artist, dead or alive, uh, who would that artist be? Mm, uh, it doesn't make sense, but probably Nirvana. Nah, that's a good one. That's a good okay. one. And then, um, and then the last one is, I mentioned the, the point of the pod uh, you have this opportunity to tell people to listen to something that you love that isn't yours. Um, oh, if you cool. could tell them to listen to any record, what would that record be? Uh, probably Tusk, Fleetwood Mac, um, mm -hmm. If I Should Fall From Grace of God by The Pogues. I'm on Spotify right now. You asked for one. Yeah, that's good. That's I would okay. Say, yeah, probably those two. Okay. The uh, I, I got to say, like, uh, I'm a, you're not supposed to do this, but like, I'm such a fan. Uh, and the, I would say that like, I can feel when I really love a record, when my wife knows the record, even though she doesn't listen to it on her own because it comes on in the car every time. And, uh, like I, I imagine at some point, like she would hear the first notes of Burger Hill or something and be like, Oh my God. Like again, uh, I just think the, the record's so great, and I I hope more people uh, find out about you with this album because you guys are it's just a, a great band makes great music. So thank you so um, much, man. I really yeah. appreciate it. Yeah, I second that, man. And Spike turned me on to your music, so 
um, really just uh, yoking the fur. And I'm, I'm psyched to hear this new one. Now you're describing it, uh, just hearing the first couple of tracks that it's even on another level. It's, uh, it's exciting. Something to look forward yeah, to. Yeah, I'm going to send it to you guys like as soon as we hang out. Nice. Awesome. Oh, nice. Nice. Get the preview. Beautiful. Nice. Well, and I would say we were talking about songs going into other ones. There's certain out, if you grow up listening to albums, there's certain songs where you, when the song ends, you expect the next song on the album to come on, even if you're listening on the radio. Um, like the way that Civility at Gunpoint goes into Jules Strauss and the Runoff is like, you can't listen to the second song without the first one. Like it's, I worked, I worked in rock radio for a while and you know, it's almost like you're, uh, you know, speak to me and breathe or, or we are the champions and, uh, uh, we will rock you. Like they have to go together. So Peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, I, again, the album comes out February, um, 19th, 19th yeah. uh, billion little lights and you can buy like, you know, merch, but you can buy a ticket for the, the live stream that's with right. t-shirts. Yep. Yeah. Uh, at the wildpinkmusic.com has everything there. There's like uh, tickets for the live stream, pre-orders for the vinyl, all that good stuff. Awesome, man. Well, we appreciate your time. Um, and I look forward to hearing Had the record. Yeah. Thanks so much. Guys. Yeah. Great talking yeah, with you, man. Really Thank you for coming it. on with us. I gotta, we'll, we'll hang on Philly next time. What, whatever yes. that can happen, you know, uh, yeah. It's going to be it, sooner than we think. I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, I have so. faith. Spring. Yeah. I'm hoping for spring. Yeah. Spring. Yeah. That seems Put reasonable. The, the positive vibes out yeah. there. Yeah, absolutely. All right, man. <laughs> we thank John for his time. If Again, if you want to uh, pre-order the record, A Billion Little Lights, go to wildpinkmusic.com. Their music, of course, on Spotify, Apple Music, all that kind of stuff. Uh, but support them, you know, buy a t-shirt, something like that. Uh, we will talk to you next week. That's it for us. Stay free, my goose. <laughs>